Hey there, welcome to the unofficial UPAN podcast. My name is Paul Bautista, I'll be your host this episode. This is the podcast for the University of Pennsylvania A's and Alumni Network, where we try to interview alumni who have done interesting things, have interesting stories, and you know try to capture a little bit of oral history of what life was like at Penn on campus and get a little bit of advice for future generations from those who have come before. Um, this episode, this first episode, will be I'll be interviewing one of my good friends, Varsal Patel. He graduated from the M&T program in 2014. While at Penn, he was the business manager of Penn Masala, as well as a facilitator for the Asian Pacific American Leadership Initiative. Since graduating at Penn, he's had quite a ride. He's worked at a big three consulting firm. He's worked for a small startup, and he's even gone off to try to start his own startup. I like coming to Varsal, you know, he's one of my best friends and he has, you know, great advice because, you know, he really has a good way of thinking about how to make those difficult decisions in life. This is, you know, the first, one of the early interviews that I've done, so the sound quality may be a little bit off. We recorded this in a coffee shop after work one day, but I hope you can bear with that because I really think Varsal has some great gems in there for anyone who's looking to make hard decisions and, you know. Um, so without further ado, let's hop into the episode. Uh, catch you on the other side. Thanks for coming onto the podcast. Uh, it's you know you are kind of like the inspiration for me almost to like kind of start doing this kind of interview with alum. So I wanted to thank you for coming on uh, and being the first guest that I'm going to be publishing with this. Cool. No, thank you. Thanks, Paulo. I, I I'm really happy to be here. All right. So if you had like if you had to like give a quick you know brief introduction for yourself, how would you introduce yourself? You know, to somebody now. I guess I'm the son of of us of, of Indian immigrants. So I grew up um, well. I was born in India, and then I moved to New Jersey when I was three years old. Um, and then I'm an only child. I grew up in New Jersey, uh, went to public school there, ended up going to Penn because I really wanted to study. Well, at the time, I, I was like, oh, I want to do business, maybe do engineering. And obviously, Penn is Penn, Penn does both of those things pretty well. And so I ended up at Penn. Um, I loved my time at Penn. Um, I did Penn Masala while I was there. I also was um, decently involved with Patch. Um, and then after graduating, I've been I've had a bunch of roles, but I've been mostly working at startups. Um, and yeah, and I, I've been in New York for three years now, so that's also been exciting. All right, cool. And so, what was it like, you know, growing up in New Jersey? I guess as like an only child of Indian immigrants. Yeah. Um, so New Jersey has a lot, especially Central Jersey, where I'm from, has a lot of other mm-hmm. um, Indian families, especially a lot of other Indian families that, that recently immigrated to the United States. Um, so in that way, it wasn't it wasn't abnormal in any way. But um, I think that there's like one of the big things was definitely like this like very heavy emphasis on education. So that was one of the big ones, which was like you know a lot of my other friends that weren't from the same background, cultural background, didn't have the same expectations around like you know like how hard you worked at school, what grades you got, etc. And the other piece that was challenging was sort of just like the balance between like trying to assimilate into a American culture and then also like at home like we spoke Gujarati which is the language um, that my parents know really well um, and like we had a pretty like heavy like at like Indian influence in terms of like how we did things I ate Indian food every day and so like that was also hard which is like I wanted to fit in but then I also had this like you know like tie to my Indian culture and so I think it's pretty similar to what a lot of other um, a lot of other folks experience especially from that type of background um, but those were those you know those are tough growing up 
All right, cool. So, you know, I guess what kind of student were you in high school? You know, were you like a steady student? Did you slack off a little bit? What kind of things were you involved with, you know, extracurricularly maybe? Yeah. I don't think I was, I don't think I'm naturally disciplined, um, but my parents really made me be disciplined. Like they were very good at like making sure I was focused. Like I didn't have a phone until I was a senior in high school. Um, and I, um, my life was more or less like school and then like sports or extracurriculars after school, come home, do homework and then rinse and repeat. Um, I pretty much like, I could count on my, like it was a handful of times that I would like go to the mall with friends or like do something like that like i, I was totally, i totally feel that yeah i was exactly yeah i was that's all i did all the time and i didn't but i didn't dislike it like i think there were a lot of people who were like oh wow that that didn't sound fun but like i enjoyed school i enjoyed my extracurriculars like uh, it was a good mix and i got a lot of my social activity from doing things outside of school yeah so, what, what, what kind of extracurriculars were you, were you in yeah i guess back then i was like a Mal UN nerd and i did a lot of volunteerism um, okay. and then i played i played tennis okay tennis. Yeah. all right cool um and so i guess you know, before you came to Penn, you know, did you have any aspirations? What you wanted to be when you grow up, or what you wanted to study? Did you have like some kind of idea, or was it kind of like, you know, I have no idea? What, what did you want to be when you grew up when you were younger? So very classic. I um, I mean, I was a classic Indian kid, right? Like growing up in New Jersey, which was like I played tennis, I like did Mal UN, I was like decent at math and physics, like. You know, so I, in that way, I think like, especially when I came to Penn, I found so many other people that were similar to me in that way. Um, I think going to Penn, the goal was actually to um, do something pretty engineering heavy to like go like, you know, because I love math and physics. I was like, oh, maybe I can go build something cool and then start a company or like be an entrepreneur. Like that was kind of the goal. Like, I remember writing my, my Penn essays about like being an entrepreneur. Um, and so that was kind of the goal walking into Penn. Uh, prior to that, when I was much younger, I think there was like a new influence around like trying to be a doctor just because a lot like my you know a lot of folks in my family tried to be doctors or are our doctors um, and my parents really wanted that for me um, but I think I like really love physics so that's why I moved toward like oh I really want to do something engineering focused and that naturally led to also wanting to be an entrepreneur. Okay so you know you kind of started mentioning you know you applied to Penn you wrote about being an entrepreneur what was it I guess you know aside from you know the brand name of Penn as like an Ivy League institution what I guess specifically made you interested in Penn and ultimately accepting you know Penn over any other office you might have had? Yeah. So the summer after my junior year of high school, you know, like there's like in New Jersey, there are a bunch of like uh, competitive summer programs that you can do. And I can, I like applied to a bunch and I didn't get into any of them. And I remember like that was like the, you know, that was like a, a huge, it felt like a huge loss, which was like, oh wow, I didn't get into any of the competitive, like elite summer programs. And then I applied to one at Penn um, and I got into that one. And so I actually spent a summer at Penn before my senior year of high school and I like, Honestly, I didn't know much about Penn going into it. It was just kind of like, I need to go somewhere for, for the summer. And like, that happened to be an option. I did this like biotech program. I loved, I didn't love the biotech piece, but I loved Penn. Like I lived in the quad. I got to, I like my mentors in that program were other Penn students. They clearly loved Penn. And I was like, okay, everyone here loves it. Um, and my dad honestly was like, look, you're going to apply to Penn. I don't think you're going to get in. So go ahead, apply ED. And if you get in, awesome. But if you don't get in, like, you know, don't hold your breath. And I was like, okay, fine. Um, so that was kind of like, the main reason and then on top of that I like discovered that they had 
they had the management technology program. I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. Like, whatever, I'll try my luck. Um, yeah, that was it. It was just like I fell in love with the campus while I was there for the summer. No way. Like, so that's kind of funny because I actually also did a summer program. This, Wait, the, what? Before I was, I was in the business program, lead. Yeah, lead. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so I guess you know you were also in the quad at the same time as I was. That's super. That's super actually cool, crazy. Though. Yeah, we lived in. I forget. I think we were in repeat. Oh, we were all. Wait, Reefy's the one like in the lower quad. Lower quad. Right? Yeah, yeah, we were all in upper quad, like, in the nipple. So Got it. yeah. Um, all right, cool. So you know, now that you know you got it in the pen, let's talk about your time at Penn. So you, you know, you, as you mentioned, you were part of the M and P or Management Technology Program. Um, you know, class of 2014, same as me. Mm-hmm. Um, what you know, uh, what did you I guess choose to study? Like, what were your majors when yeah, as part of the Warren and as part of the engineering component of M and P? And you know, maybe you know, what were some classes or professors that you found super interesting as part of your you know education or formal formal classes? Yeah. I ended up studying computer science, um, and like, in, I guess in Warden it was like, you know, what are my concentrations were management and open, um, and I. It's funny because like, in high school I was like super academically oriented, and in college it's not that I wasn't, but like I immediately got drawn to extracurriculars as my like main source of inspiration, um, and I spent way less time in class than I would expect. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think. Let's see, like great classes. Um, I really liked. Um, I think to be fair, most of the classes I took were, were great. Like I think they were all valuable. Like some professors are more engaging than others. Um, I really liked Stat Force, and a lot of my Stat classes were great. Like I think the Stat department is super underrated. So I love Stat Four Seventy Six. Um, I liked my like on computer science side. I liked my algorithms class. Um, and then on the sort of like the more general business stuff, um, Sekhar Chaudhary, who's one of the business professors. He teaches Caspar Management Theory 7, which I just really liked. I think it's partly because I really liked him. He also happens to be a South Asian professor, which is like South Asian professor who was M&T way back in the day. So it's like kind of easier to relate. Um, yeah, so those are sort of the classes that like stuck out. Um, but yeah, most of my, when I got onto campus, like immediately most of my time was spent outside of the classroom. All right, so, you know, talking of those things, you know, obviously, as you alluded before, you were part of Penn Masala, which is quote unquote Penn's premier all-male South, <laughs> South Asian acapella group, the first of its kind in the nation. Um, but you actually worked with the singer for Penn, for Penn Masala, right? You were the business manager right. since freshman year, right? That's right. So how did you fall into, you know, becoming that as a freshman? Yeah. My friends in high school were like, oh, dude, you should try out for Penn Masala. And I was like, I didn't know what it was. I had no idea. But a lot of other, a lot of other my friends did. I get to campus and I, you know, I like, I've heard of them. I'm like, oh yeah, like I'm not that interested. Like I can't sing, so like, why would I be interested? But my friend had told me that there's a business manager role, and then I was like, there's no way I'm being the manager of like an all male South Asian acapella group. Like most of my friends in high school weren't South Asian, um, and so like I was like, that doesn't seem like something I would do. Um, I get to campus, I do Molly Wen. Like I immediately hop into like I, international affairs. Association, like that's what I do, and then I bump into some of the guys uh, from Sala on Locust Walk, and they're like, "Hey, we have a business manager role," and I was like, "Okay, I'll think about it." I like go to one of their parties. I like meet a bunch of them again, and I was like, "Okay, like they seem nice," um, and then I go to the business manager auditions, um, and the first time I went, I turned around because it was so busy. Like they were like a bunch of people there. I was like, "All right, I don't want to wait for this." So then I came back later that evening. And there was not much of a line, and so then I went. 
Um, and yeah, and then I got it. And honestly, when I first started, I was like, okay, yeah, like the songs are cool. Like they do cool stuff. They tour. I was like, this will be like a few hours a week. It'll be like three, four, five hours a week. Like no big deal. I can do everything else. But I obviously could not. So that became my primary activity. I like dropped a lot of the other like debate oriented things that I thought I was going to do. Um, and then focus on the saw. Okay, cool. So, you know, I know there were a lot of things that kind of happened during your time as business manager in Masala, but um, first of all, I guess, what, what would the day-to-day of being, you know, business manager for, you know, a world-famous acapella group, you know, be like, you know, especially from a freshman through senior year, I guess? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, so I went to all the practices, for the most part. I went to all the practices, and everyone would be like, oh, why'd you go to practice? And I'm like, uh, it was my time, so while everyone else was practicing, that was my time to like, get done, get any masala work done. Um, and the key things I had to do was like make sure we had shows booked, right? Because like those shows were our way of like touring and spreading our music and interacting with fans. So I made sure we did that. And then the other thing I managed was just kind of like the logistics finances around albums and songs that we produced. Like way back in the day, it was only albums, and then we moved to like iTunes and Spotify and whatnot. So like managing all of that. Um, um, and then pretty much anything that was like coordinating with an external party, which is like someone wants to like collaborate with us or we want to do some like social media marketing or we want to, you know, like try a new campaign, like all that stuff kind of fell into the business realm of things. And so I was never, I wasn't ever doing it just alone. Um, I was always doing it with other Masala members, but like the assumption was that I would at least be involved if not sort of taking lead on those things. Okay, cool. So, you know, what are some of the cool projects that, that you guys, uh, you, you, took, you, you took lead on, I guess, while you were, you know, business manager? Yeah, I mean, there, so there were a ton. I think that, so I think the, one of the most challenging ones I worked on uh, was my junior year was we didn't we, we like we decided to go to India and we did an India tour and most tours are it's relatively straightforward when it's domestic which is like we just have to coordinate logistics and like figure out when we're going to go and what songs we're going to do all that stuff but with India it was like well it was international and like there's a lot more coordination involved there but also once we were on the ground there there were like so many things that went wrong um, we like got we landed and then like our hotel fell through and then we like stayed at one of the other guys' like aunt's home for a little bit and then we figured out the hotel situation. Then they threatened to uh, to to cancel another show that we had in a different city because there was some licensing issue and then we had to like make a bunch of calls to get to fix that problem. And that was just like a, it was probably one of the, the best like week I had, one of the best weeks I've ever had, um, despite it being so stressful because like it was super fun. But it was also like a constant like we were just like all of us were constantly trying to figure out how we're gonna make things work. And mind you, of the like the twelve people that are on that trip, like I think like three of us knew how to like speak broken Hindi. Um, and so we were, you know, like we were just trying to we were figuring things out on the go, which was really, really fun. I think the most the coolest things that we eventually ended up doing were actually my senior year, where at the end of my senior year, um, we uh, like tried out this music video called the Evolution of Bollywood Music. Right. It went relatively viral, like it was like a million views in, in less than a month, and that was a big deal for us. Um, and that led to us um, uh, being asked to to do a cameo role in Pitch Perfect 2. And so that was obviously very, very cool, which is we all got to be on set, we got to fly out after I graduated, 
and, and that was probably one of the highlights. Um, and then the third thing that happened that same year was we actually got invited to perform at like the Bollywood's equivalent of the Golden Globes. Um, and that was just, again, that was just another one of those like, oh wow, that was that was just really fun to work on um, and, and to be part of. This kind of came all at a time when kind of new media with Spotify and iTunes as you yeah. it kind of changed the way that music was being done. So you had to like, kind of figure it out on the fly and you don't really have the support of like a huge studio label to help you. So what, I guess how has that experience kind of influenced your perception on new media in general and the relationship of music with industry and, and new media and all that? Oh wow. Yeah, well, I haven't thought about this in a while. We used to think about this all the time, which is like, so the big transition with Solid Made was, or it is still making, is like moving from an album model to just like a, like a, a streaming model, right? Which is like before it was like you produced albums, you tried to sell albums. We used to like, uh, you know, the big task when you were a freshman was like you carried CD boxes and you brought them to shows and like that was how we distributed songs back when even when we were freshmen and then eventually it was like well, no one's buying CDs like they just they're just gonna listen to our stuff on Spotify um, and that was like that took a while to get used to but also there's a very real like the amount of money you can make off of streaming songs is really really low right like and Masala Masala's like relatively popular but like we're not gonna be like global top hundred right like um, or we haven't been yet and so um, I think that is something we realized which was like oh wow like imagine if we were a professional group and like this was how we made money like it would have been so hard to even break even on a lot of things um, because like the amount of revenue generated is really hard and it, it's really hard to make a lot of money off of streaming services but the other piece is like you um, like the cost of producing really really good media is also not cheap right like getting in getting like studio time like mastering songs editing songs like that stuff was expensive and so to produce high quality content was expensive but then like the amount of revenue you can make off of that was limited unless you ended up hitting a jackpot right and I think you see in media you see like there's like very clear winners but that's the you know the minority and then there are folks that like are struggling because it's just hard to make money if you're not one of the clear winners yeah good thing I'm not trying to make money off of this podcast with, like my <laughs> right. with my make do make, make do setup uh, all right cool. man, it'll be a winner I <laughs> um, all right, so you know, aside from Hasala, which I guess you were most well known for, you also involved in a bunch of other stuff. Um, I personally know you were really involved with the Pan Asian American Community House Pats as an, a poly facilitator. So, for the listeners, why don't you explain what a poly is and what and how the program runs and what the role of a facilitator a facilitator is in that? Yeah, poly is the Asian Pacific American Leadership Initiative. Um, it's one of the one of the sort of key programs that Patch sponsors. And um, yeah, I applied because older mentors in Hasala were like, "Hey." You're love this and I was like okay great um, and um, the program is the way I think about it and, and people have different views on it the way I think about it right is like it is intended to be an opportunity for folks from similar back similar cultural backgrounds um, to discuss their identity like get to know it a bit better like have the tools to start actually talking about their identity in meaningful ways um, and then also to have like a positive experience that hopefully helps them be better leaders in the future um, I don't think I knew this when I was doing the program but like I think to be an effective leader you have to be very comfortable in your own skin and you have to be very you have to have a pretty strong sense of self meaning you know what your background is and what role that plays and, and what biases and, and sort of like 
um, opportunities and weaknesses that creates for you, right? Like knowing all those things and being like very self-aware of that is important. Um, and I think Apolly allows, um, Apolly has done a great job of creating that dialogue, right? Which is what does it mean to be Asian Pacific American in America right now? Like what impact does that have on your career? What impact does that have on your social circles, right? Like those are conversations that most people don't have and Apolly helps facilitate. Um, and as a facilitator, that was my job. My job was just like, hey, facilitate those conversations um, and like try to create that sort of enriching experience for the next generation of Penn students. All right, so you were co-facilitating with uh, Simone. Simone, right? yep. Okay, so you and Simone, you know, were co-facilitators. What was kind of your mentality at the time, you know, for how to craft these, you know, these very small intimate sessions, the retreats? What was your like, philosophy that you kind of went into trying to crafting that, I guess? Yeah, I think it was the table stakes stuff, right? Which is like, make sure you're preparing for sessions, make sure you like have a, make sure you are relatively fluent in the content you're about to talk about um, and then make sure you like do a great job at listening I think it's really hard and I still try to work on this it's very hard to be a good listener and as a facilitator you're listening and you're sort of like guiding the conversation but you're not you know you, the intention is not for you to actively participate or like control the flow of conversation so those are the, the basics table stakes stuff I think Simone and I try really hard to sort of lead with vulnerability which is like creating intimacy I think is is it's difficult and the way we approached it was like well we're going to try to be intimate and vulnerable and hopefully like we can lead by example all right so you know obviously it was like a circle of trust around the poly you don't want like you really divulge anything that happened in you know the sessions but is there anything you'd be willing to say or able to say or i guess that's like a meaningful experience within a poly i guess being a facilitator or even being like a fellow co you know participant with me in my class in our class i, I think the meaningful part for me when i was in when i was in, so the reason i had to be a facilitator was when i was in a poly with you know with you like I felt like, oh wow, like I don't have another avenue for having these conversations and this is what I thought college would be like. I thought we'd like talk about the hard things and like talk about things that I never really expected and, and learn more about my identity. And so and I think for me the really meaningful piece of this was like I felt like both of the classes I had when I was a facilitator felt similarly like family. Um, like they were the first people one of the first people I updated, for instance, like when I switched to my from my first job to my second job. Like they felt like people I wanted to update because they felt like family. Um, like Simone and I didn't know each other at all before we were seniors. Um, and I think it was I think that to me was so meaningful and that we were able to create a family so um, so like felt kind of organically um, through Poly. Alright, yeah, no, definitely one of the highlights of my experience was getting to be in like the Apollo class with you. Totally. Um, you know, before we kind of move on to what you did after Penn, what impact or legacy, you know, would you like to think you've had, you know, through being a poly facilitator or through, you know, your time at Masala or just you know, just being on campus, what kind of legacy do you think you you'd like to think you've had? Oh my, I'm not sure if I have any legacy. Um I, I you know, I think Here's what I would hope for. I'm not sure if I achieved this, but I, I think the hope would be that I was able to like mentor younger folks and help them have a positive experience at Penn, right? Like through Masala, like the thing I was most excited about was like, yes, I wanted the group to be successful. That was part of it. But I think like the legacy I would hope to leave behind is that the folks that were in the group with me felt close to me and felt like I was helping them have a positive experience through Masala, and the same goes for Apolli. 
Okay, sounds good. All right, so moving on to your time post post pen. So you got quite a quite a ride, I think. You quite a ride, man. You, I guess your story is one that I like to like repeat to other people when you know they're feeling stressed out. I guess about you know job hunting, which is the ever present you know gorilla in the room. I like, know. When it was that pen, but you know why don't you walk us through? I guess your post pen professional life. Yeah, yeah, it has been a ride. Yeah. So I, you know, I actually did very classic things. Um, for my internships. I did investment banking and I did consulting. I graduated. When I graduated, I had a job at Bain in San Francisco. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go go do that. Like my parents were super happy. Everyone around me was like, you know, I was validated, quote unquote. Um, the summer in between when I graduated and when I went to Bain, I spent interning at a small startup in New York City called Fundera. And that was mostly through a close friend of mine referred me. Uh, they needed an intern. The team was like six, seven people. And so I joined. Um, and I had a great time. Like, it was really, really fun. Um, I'd never experienced being at a startup before. Um, but then I left at the end of the internship, moved to San Francisco, started working at Bain. And Bain was great. Like, uh, like the people were really, really sharp. I knew there was a lot to learn, um, but it wasn't the same type of experience that Fundera was. And I was like itching to go back to Fundera. Like after my first case, I was like, oh, how do I get back? And I was like pretty conflicted, right? Because it was like everyone was telling me not to do it. Uh, my parents were definitely not for it. Um, my friends were split, but like no one was like, oh, yeah, it's an obvious, like go back to Fundera. Um, and the sort of personal note here is at the time I was also dating a girl that was in New York. And so I was like, all right, well, you know, like I think I like Fundera better and I think uh, it'd be nice to, to not have to be in a long distance relationship. Like, let's do it. So I pulled, I pulled the plug on it and I moved back, I worked at Fundera full time and I left Bain in three months. Um, and you'd be surprised at the number of young pen people that reach out to me to be like, hey, I'm like three months into my job. I think I want to quit. Can I get some advice? I've had that conversation a lot. I may or may not have contributed by telling people about that. Yeah, I actually, I, look, I actually, I, I enjoy having the conversation, not because I'm like quit. I'm not usually like, I don't have an answer for people, but I think it's like, um, you know, it's like a very real thing, right? Like a first job is just like, uh, like no one's gonna, oh, it's very hard to have a perfect first job, right? Like we don't know what it's like to be an adult and like to work, etc. And I also don't even know if leaving Bain was the right choice or not. It just like, that's the choice I made. Um, and the positive of it was I think it made me more willing to take certain risks and make certain bets, even if like they led to like mistakes or, you know, some sort of pain. Um, so I get to Fundera, Fundera was great. Time out real quick. Yeah. So let's talk real quick through, you know, that decision, right? Like, yeah. we'll dig, dig a little bit more into that. So, you know, what kind of, you know, if you're waffling back and forth and obviously, you know, there's a girl and then there's like, you, you're kind of in the fun, you're kind of in the fun there, but you know, like Baines, what ultimately, I guess, is there, was there a moment where you just like had the conviction to just do it? Or was it like something you were questioning the entire time you were doing it? That's a great question. I, I think... I mean, so I, I did. I did the logical thing, which was like I like made pros and cons. I like you know did that whole thing. At the end of the exercise, I was like, I still don't know. Um, and um, I really think at that point, I was just like, I was just following my gut. Um, and you know, when I look back, I'm like, I'm sure I could have been more logical about it, but I was just following my gut. Um, and. The very real truth was like, I'm also someone that likes to bet on like people and 
So I like to bet on people, and I also like to bet on underdogs. Like the reason I loved growing up in the town that I did grow up in was like it was like a pretty underfunded public school, and but I loved I loved competing for that school, and that like I was like felt like I was fighting for you know something that was bigger than me. And so I think like that part of startups definitely attracted me. So my gut was like, all right, go do that, right? Like Bain has like so many other smart people; they don't need me. Whereas a startup could potentially you know use me in a in a in a, in a uh, more effective way or, or get more value out of me or something like that. And and the other piece was like, yeah, like I was dating this girl, and it was like a lot of people were like, dude, that's dumb. Like we were, we weren't even dating for that long, but I was just like, yeah, but the type of person I am is I just like kind of put my chips on people. Um, so I was like, well, like I know that matters to me, so I'm You're just an gonna optimist. Go do it. It was an optimist. Yeah, I'm an optimist about people and, and about how work should work. Um, and I thought like with with Vendera, I thought like, oh wow, like I could you know could have a very different work life than I would have at Bain, um, and I could like create the kind of culture that I want by being one of the early employees. So it was just like. Hey, I can go do this, and you know, if you think about it logically, it's like, but the risks are way higher, right? It's like, there's no guarantee that Fundera sticks around. Like, there's no guarantee you can actually shape the culture the way you want. There's no guarantee your relationship works out, all that. And obviously, Bain was paid way better. Like, it had a very clear, uh, very clear career trajectory, etc. Um, but anyway, a long-winded way of answering your question is like, I think I just followed my gut. Based off of the things I believed in, um, and you know that, and that that has kind of been how I've approached almost all my decisions. Um, like one more thing I would change, right? Like as things shake up, but I think I still mostly do that. Hey, it's really hard for you so far. So. Right, 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 right. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. So let's think. Now, now you're at Fundera. You know what? What exactly does Fundera do? What was your role there? You know, what was your time at Fundera like? Yeah. So when I got to Fundera, there was no official role. Um, it would just come in like you'll be. I was like the tenth or eleventh employee, something like that. Go work on, go work on these random things. So I started doing marketing. I did a little content development. I was like writing blog posts. I was like doing a bunch of things. Eventually, I settled into a product manager role, and I didn't know anything about product management. Um, all I knew was like people would talk about it, right? Like, oh, like that's a cool thing to do. I was like, okay, well, maybe I should try it. It also happened to feel like a good intersection of business and technology, which is I get to work with engineers and I get to work with business-facing teams. It's for me, the part of being a PM that I like most is like, I don't think I'm a product visionary, but I do think I really enjoy working with a lot of different teams and getting to sort of like coordinate cross-functional stuff. So that was, to me, that was great. Like I liked meetings. I liked running grid meetings. Like it was like facilitating. It was like a poly facilitating. And so, like, I was like, all right, you know, like, I just kind of went, I went and, and did that for uh, most of my time at Pandora. Um, and we grew from about like 10 ish to 60 ish. Um, and then I left um, after about two years. After okay. So, you left another job. Yeah. What, what was the thought process behind that? <laughs> this one was, this one was. I wanted to start my own company. Okay. Um, well, like Fundera, Fundera had its issues, as like most companies do, and especially most startups do. But none of them were like, oh wow, like you have to leave. Like nothing was like breaking. But I think I just like really wanted to start my own company, and I'd always talk about it. I'd always like sort of like dream about it, etc. Um, and so when I quit, I like the first month I was like, okay, well, what do I do? So I just kind of like I mostly just kind of sat around. I like read a little bit but not much I like started like working out a bit more I like met up with a bunch of people um, and then and then I was like oh wait maybe I should get a job again so I immediately felt the need to like 
have some sort of structure. So then I like recruited again, but then I was like, no, no, no. Like I think part of the reason I quit was to, you know, start a company. So let's go try this. Um, so then, yeah, I spent a year working on my own company, and a lot of that was just like, hey, like this has been a dream um, or an ambition, I guess. And so like, go pursue it. Um, and that was bad. Not bad. Sorry, it was really hard. Um, and I think I did a pretty poor job um, during my one year at, at working on my own company. So what was this company that you were working on? Uh? Yeah, it was called Strive. The general premise was um, I thought there was a lot of inequity in how college admissions works and I thought that a lot of students that come from like lower income or middle class backgrounds don't have the same resources that a student from a private school would have for instance. So how can you sort of even the playing field? Like that was the high level problem. Um, and you could do that by becoming a college counselor, you could do that by um, creating software for guidance counselors, you could do that by creating software for families, like there are all these different routes that I was exploring. Okay, cool. Um, if any investors out there want to hit a bursal about you know starting Strive up again, you know I'll, we'll have his contact information at the end. Um, but yeah, so you know about a year or so, you said that you were um, you know working on Strive, and then you ultimately made the decision to come back to work. You know you started a couple weeks ago, actually. Yeah. Um, so what led you to decide to you know let's not say give up, but you know maybe self strive for the time being and then come work for you know an, a larger organization again you know what what led to that decision yeah totally um it's been an interesting journey in that like so i spent a year working on strive and the reality is like i struggled with a lot of things i struggled with a lot of like the hard things about being a founder which is like uh, i struggled with uncertainty i struggled with creating my own structures i struggled with sort of like um being able to be really 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 uh, like super resourceful right it's like I wasn't raising capital and so you have to be really really resourceful and one of the biggest skills I think I was missing was like you have to be really good at sales uh, meaning like not just selling customers but also like selling other people on what you're working on um, and those are all things that I struggled with but the biggest part was I, I think I just like didn't this is like the the overarching thing was I don't think I believed in myself enough like I don't think I believed that I could make it work I think I was always doubting myself um, and so after a year ending like I think I was pretty aware of these things and so there was the option of like keep going like keep working on these things keep going uh, I was thankfully still financially afloat I like picked up a part-time job and um, but I just felt like okay I'm not ready like I don't think I believe enough um, and so I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna kind of shut things down and, and you know temporarily give up um, and go work somewhere for now um, and when it came to like where do I go work um, I interviewed a bunch of places I knew I wanted to be in New York again a people decision in that a lot of my close friends are here now my family's close by like I really enjoy that and so even though they were honestly better probably better companies out in San Francisco I like wanted to stay here I interviewed a bunch of places was deciding between a couple small places and you know a larger company I think I went with the with larger being like you know like three four five hundred people and I I think I went with a larger company because I felt like like I wanted to be at a place where I could um, sort of like heal a little bit and grow at the same time, right? I knew what it was like to be in an early stage startup and I knew I could do that again, but I also knew that that was taxing, right? It's like, you know, there's lots of ups and downs, like um, I have to like reface all these challenges that I had again. Um, and so I was like, you know, I think it's okay, or I believe it's okay to like take time to just kind of like 
um, not necessarily constantly butt up against those challenges. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna go. So the company I'm at now is called Flatiron Health. Um, my criteria for companies was I wanted to be somewhere that was mission driven. I wanted to be somewhere that had great people, and I wanted to be somewhere where I could, I felt I could like meaningfully grow, um, meaning like take on projects that were challenging and whatnot. And Flatiron kind of offered all of that. The only thing it didn't offer was it wasn't really really small. Um, and I think I was okay with that because it felt like, hey, because it's not really really small, I'll actually be able to sort of like kind of heal and reflect and think about all these things and like gear up for in two, three, four, five, whatever number of years when I like, um, you know, go ahead and try my next thing. Through this whole journey from Bain to Fundera to Strive to now Flatiron Health, what do you think your biggest, you know, lessons were or, or advice you've, you've garnered from this that you would want to pass on to somebody who's maybe making the same, you know, at any point, you know, jumping from a large company to a small one or from a small one to doing your own startup or from whether you want to do a startup, continue your startup or go back to working for another company. What advice do you think can you thread to all of those different decisions, I guess? Yeah, I think the first is like, there are no, there are no like right answers, especially on career stuff, right? Like I know people that are super happy they've been at the same company for, you know, ever since we graduated or like 10, 15 years and they're super, super fulfilled. Um, so there aren't any right answers. Um, I think it's just like, you kind of have to figure out what's right for you and make adjustments. Um, but at the flip side, I do think it's important to have the willingness to make mistakes, like to have courage and make mistakes. Um, like I don't think of myself as super courageous. I I just, I just think that like, because of the choices I've made, I've like, you know, I've some mistakes, some successes, you know, and I think those things really force you to grow. Um, like I really do believe that a lot of growth comes from making mistakes, and I think we're kind of taught early on, especially if you're, you know, like, in my case, right, you're like, the, the only son of like Indian immigrants, like I went to Penn, where like, you know, you're not really compelled to take a lot of risks. With school, um, you feel like you have to make the right choice all the time, and I and I think for me it's like, well, be comfortable with the choices you're making. Like, don't make rash decisions, but like, it's okay if you're not making perfect decisions all the time, um, because you don't have perfect information. Um, and the important thing is that you learn. Right? And the important thing is you take whatever you do and you learn from it. The other piece is like, make the most of whatever it is you're doing, right? So let's say you're at a job that you don't love, but you have to be there because you have to pay off your student loans. That's a very real thing, like. Make the most of it while you're there, right? Like, if you're going to sit there and be like, oh, well, I don't love my job, I wish I was doing XYZ, but I can't, like, you're not gonna make the most of that opportunity. Like, I think the framework is like, it's very hard to find a dream job or like a perfect job. And so whichever jobs you have, like, get a lot of learning out of them. And then like when you find a better opportunity, go, go take it. But like don't necessarily stress over perfection, um, especially when it comes to jobs. Um, so that, that's that, that's sort of like the job piece, but the, I think the broader piece is just like making mistakes and taking chances on yourself helps you learn more about yourself um, and it'll prepare you for the rest of life, right? Like your 20s are probably relatively easy compared to the rest of your life. So the more mistakes you make now, the more likely I think you are to be resilient and confident in the future. All right, definitely some inspiring advice right there. Um, something a little bit slightly more lighthearted. What, okay. what would you do if money were no object? What, what, what would you think you'd spend your time doing? I think the things that I really like are a combination of like people-driven problem solving, so working with people to solve problems, and then community building. Um, and um, the two spaces that I that I 
you know, that I've kind of, that I think I enjoy working in are education and healthcare. And so, if money were no option, I think I would actually probably consider, um, and I've considered this before. I'd probably consider like uh, teaching. Um, and I don't know when capacity, but I think I'd really enjoy like teaching, um, especially teaching in a variety of contexts, like like teaching abroad and then um, teaching at schools here, etc. Um, and it's not that I can't teach right now. Um, it's like yeah, I could totally pick that up. But there is a very real like I think being a teacher has its own like other set of challenges right now. Uh, but I think if money was an option, I could like do whatever I wanted. I'd find a way to like get an ideal setup with teaching, right? Which is like working with exactly the types of kids I wanted, the subject I wanted without like bureaucracy of public schools, etc. Okay, fair enough. You know, aside from you know this whole all this work stuff, what you know, um, I always like to like ask people what are their hobbies. You know, yeah. what, what are you interested in outside of work? And I know personally that you're into what 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 I'd call self help slash mindfulness. Um, you know, well, how would you describe you know your kind of like like. Uh, fascination with that topic, I guess. Oh wow, I would call it. <laughs> so I guess, and I think this is—it's interesting because like this has always been ingrained in me. So I think it's just—it just like followed me throughout my life. Which is, um, even when I was young and I did well at something, the immediate question at home was like, well, how can you do better, right? Like if you got a ninety-five, it's like how do you get a hundred, right? Like that yeah. type of thing. And and so like and that's kind of carried over, which is like I'm probably too much actually, and probably too often thinking about like, oh well, how can I get better at certain things? Though it's changed in that I'm less. I'm less focused on how can I get better at like skills to like how can I be a better person like I think I have a decent vision of like the type of person I want to be and I want to like make the changes to get there right like to, to embody those values better so I spend a lot of time thinking about that I don't really there's not like concrete activities around it except for the fact that I try to talk I mean you know this I try to talk to a lot of people about this because I think like I have awesome friends and, and I think like what they tell me is really helpful so that's one thing I spend a, I spend a decent amount of my time thinking about um, I also um, um, I picked up running post-college, which has been really nice because I think like a, it's my way of exploring the city. Like when I used to live on the Upper East Side, I would like run around all of Manhattan. Now I live in Brooklyn, I run around all of Brooklyn. Um, and so that's my way of exploring the city. And it's obviously like a hopefully healthy alternative um, to other things. Um, and otherwise, I think like the uh, most of my time is spent like, the beauty of New York I think is there's so many awesome people. So I'm either trying to meet new people or I'm hanging out with other, with you know, the friends I have here, um, which has been awesome. Yeah, I think that's like a unique New York challenge of like trying to meet up with people. What are your strategies for you know trying to make time or find time in someone else's schedule to like you know meet up with them and grab coffee and just talk? Yeah, I think a lot of it is like um, I'm willing to reach out to people, and if they say no, I'm also cool with that. Like I I'm cool with sort of like asking more people and then being okay if they're if they're not available. But the other piece is like anytime there's a friend is inviting me to something that I wouldn't normally go to, especially if it's like oh I'm going to hang out with my friends from college, I went to a different college, or just like a part of a different community, I almost I almost always try to say yes. Because it's like my way of meeting some a bunch of new people through someone I know, which is a lot easier than just going to an entirely new place alone. Um, so that's probably my like go-to strategy um, for meeting new people. Alright, no, that's definitely something I've never considered before. Um, but totally makes sense. Um, Alright, so you know, kind of wrapping up this portion, you know, how would you say your time at Penn has influenced, you know, your your life 
your post college life so far in you know the what four years since you've graduated? The biggest there's two big ones, right? I think Penn, better for better or for worse, creates certain uh, career options for you that like you know most of us kind of stick to, which is like there's like you know businessy things like you know I haven't really thought about certain like different fields that I see a lot that I just like haven't even thought about because I think I was I wasn't exposed to them as much at Penn. So that's like a very immediate impact. I'm not saying that's good or bad. That just it is what it is. But the thing that's been most impactful uh, in a positive way is just the people. Like I get to hang out with people like you and other people from our poly, our poly class and my roommates are from Penn. Like that community that it's given me, um, I think has gotten me through you know a lot of tough times. But also like gives me a lot of meaning. Like I think if I were to sort of create a stack rank of the things that matter to me, like people would be at the top of all of that. And most of those people are people that I met through Penn. All right, sounds good. And you know where do you see or hope your life goes from here if you have a vision at all or, or what whatnot? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think like I'll spend time at Flatiron, like hopefully learning a ton, um, and continuing to work on the side on like becoming, you know, a, a version of myself that I'm more and more happy with. Um, and let's call it five years, six years. I'm not sure when, but like I'd love to like try starting a company again. Um, and my vision for a company, I think probably you know I've talked about this before, which is like the vision is like build it build something that's meaningful, so like something that's mission-driven, but also like build a team that I'm really, really excited about. Meaning not just like smart people, but just good people, right? Like a culture where people feel like, hey, this feels like family. And I know everyone, when I tell this to older people, they're like, yeah, that's not really possible. I'm, I might be wrong. It might not You're be You're an possible. optimist. You believe yeah, in people. Yeah, but I believe, yeah, exactly. And so I think it'd be really cool if like, it'd be awesome if I walked into work feeling like, hey, it's not just I like the people here. It's like I actually like think of them as family. And yeah, yeah, they gave me critical feedback and we worked together on things. But like, if I'm going to spend more than half my life at work or my waking life at work, like, I better really want to be there. And I think for most people, a lot of that is just a function of the type of people you're on. So I hope to start a company like that where we like kind of change how people think about work um, and then ideally work on something that is um, mission driven. Um, and then the other piece of life, obviously, is like, yeah, I hope, it, I hope to continue to build communities that I'm really excited to be a part of and I hope to have a family and all that stuff. So that's kind of what I think life looks like over the next like 10 years is to figuring all those pieces out. All right. Any awesome people, let Barcel know so he can, <laughs> you can work with him because he's an awesome dude himself. Uh-huh. All right. Let's go to the lightning round. These are going to be questions I ask everybody on the podcast. Yep. Um, this one had to be super fast, but you know. Um, all right. What's something that's making you happy right now? Meeting new people at work. Um, All right. There are two kinds of pendulum. Those who take risks and those who don't. All right. Sounds good. What's the biggest thing you wish you had done at Penn that you didn't do? Uh, Study abroad. Uh, Where would you have gone if you had studied abroad? Good question. I don't know. I probably would have tried to go somewhere in Asia. Okay. Who would you consider as your role model? Could be multiple people. But yeah, who would you look up to and want to, you know, emulate in your life? That's it. I've been thinking about that a lot recently. Um, And I think I definitely look up to my parents a lot. Um, uh, I look up to a lot of my best friends um, because there are things about them that I admire a lot. And then recently there are a few, so there's a high school teacher that I've been in touch with for a long time who I think is a mentor. And then there are some other like pendulum that are like four or five, six years older that I've recently met and, and I also think of as mentors. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of a, 
for me, it's not about like who's most successful or or who's like done the most. It's more just like, hey, who are the older people that have the values that I aspire to have? Um, and those are some of the people. All right. Um, what is your advice for your high school self who just got accepted in the pen? What's your advice for them regarding pen? And this is kind of a sneak way of asking what's your advice for current students. But yeah. I see. Yeah, like really soak in all four years. Like there'll be so many things that will stress you out, um, and that's okay. But like know that like it's going to be the best four years, um, and so don't let don't let those stressful things like get in the way of you having an incredibly meaningful experience. And like it is your time to go do things that you wouldn't normally do. Um, so just do them. Like, or in acapella group, even if yeah, you don't sing. Exactly. Yeah, join acapella group even if you don't sing. And it might seem weird, and it might seem like like a waste of time relative to becoming an elite debater or whatever but you know it'll be it'll be awesome so just like find things that seem interesting and then just hop on the ride all right this is a special question just for you will you sing for us for the podcast for there's just no way Paula. oh my god it'd be awful <laughs> all right I, I tried um, yeah all right last question what's a question that you wanted me to ask you that i didn't ask what do you what are your what are the things that you value all right what do the things you value great i knew you clear it on me i guess i'll stick to the things that i think i think are like the things that i value value the most i guess most is not a good term but i could probably spit off like 15, 20 things that are that are great um, and I value, but I think um, I really value hard work. Um, I yeah, I just think it's like like hard work is what gets you to to sort of like move and grow in the ways that you want to grow. Um, I really value loyalty um, and I really value sort of like fairness and justice. Um, those are like some of the things. Um, yeah. All right. Sounds good. So. Before we wrap it up, you know, is there anyone you want to give a shout out to, you know, by name, not by name, anyone you want to like shout out on the podcast? This is your time. I'd like to, I'd probably shout out the, shout out the people that have sort of, um, my friends that have really pulled me through these past three, four years, which is, you know, the, you know, there's this, the narrative around like, oh, cool, you made these decisions, went through these transitions, but they've really helped me get through all of them, which would be, um, for the folks that know them, Akif, Yash. Wesley, uh, Ali, and Jay. Um, so yeah. All right. Sounds good. Shout out to them. Uh, shout out to Pen Masala. I guess. That's right. And Pen Masala. And, yeah. and to your And a poly. Um, All right. So where can people get in touch with you? If anything you said this thing has you know sparked inspiration in them, they want to get in touch with you. What's the best way they can get they can reach you? Pretty much. I mean, literally anything. Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, I think that I think if you want to reach me directly, you can actually just. I'm happy to give you my email, uh, which is just my first name, Barshall three at gmail.com um, yeah I'm more than happy to especially uh, if you want to talk about anything that I talked about here or if you want help with something um, I'm almost always happy to grab coffee alright sounds good definitely grab coffee with this man it's definitely worth it um, but yeah thank you so much for coming on the podcast thanks Paul well, hopefully this it's is the first of many interviews uh, that will be as awesome as this one has been it's, a, it's an honor man it's an honor to be one of your first alright sounds good you seriously don't want to sing yeah I'm from Boston alright sounds good alright Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. And that's a wrap. Thanks again to our guests once again for coming on the show to share their story and wisdom. And I also want to thank you for giving this show a listen. Uh, contact information for our guests can be found in our show notes at upanpodcast.podbean.com. 
Our music is provided by Fortissimo. Be sure to check them out on SoundCloud and Facebook. Editing and production was provided by Ninja Boy Media. Special thanks to the Pan-Asian American Community House and Alumni Relations. A quick reminder, the views and opinions expressed on this show are those of those appearing on this podcast alone and do not reflect those of the University of Pennsylvania. If you have any questions or feedback, or if you think that you or another alum you know might be good to be interviewed for this podcast, please reach out at upanpodcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook page. Until next time, I'm your host, Paul Bautista, signing off. Remember, keep it funky. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.